0: What is your name? I'm going to put you right on the spot. Sorry about that. <laughs> What's her name? My name is Jevonne. Jevonne. Oh, I feel so fancy saying your name. Javon. Well, hello. Très bien. Mon très bien. Uh, Jevonne, I'll be praying for you. And God bless you. Hello, everyone. Good to see you. It's Wednesday, right? That's the day today? (laughs) Um, Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for bringing us here tonight. Father, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit tonight. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you hear me? Is this I feel like can you hear me okay? Okay. Okay. So, as a minister, one of the hardest tasks I have to perform and I'm assigned is the one of doing a young person's funeral. I'm sure many of you have unfortunately had that experience, but looking for words that will bring some comfort to grieving hearts is uh, a near impossible task. A few months ago, I stood in front of 70 family and friends of a 27-year-old who took his own life, and my job was to find words that would bring some sort of hope and meaning and comfort and sense of the whole situation. Staring into the eyes of a grieving mother is not something you soon forget. And trying to help them wrestle the questions and wrestle the feelings that come with all that, it's only something that God can provide. Why is there so much pain in the world? Why do families have to bury young men and young women and watch their children suffer? Is there a point to it all? I've visited with three-year-olds with leukemia, spending months on end at the hospital, fighting for their precious lives. This year alone, our church has hosted three or four funerals for men in their 40s. Some dropped dead with no warnings, while we had one who had a terrible motorcycle accident. They each left behind broken-hearted children, daughters and sons with questions, confused And of course, dazed and inconsolable wives and loved ones. My home church um, has several newsletters, and one of them is one that our youth pastor puts out by monthly, and this month, the topic is how to help your teen get through the death of a friend. This comes after several families have had to experience this in recent days. Why do we have to help our teens navigate the choppy waters of grief? Shouldn't the teenage years be the time where they just enjoy life and where they think anything is possible, where they can be anything? It is hard to reconcile at times an all-knowing, all-sovereign God with the suffering that takes place in this world. Why does he allow bad things to happen? What can God possibly accomplish through our pain? What can God be thinking by letting us experience those hard times? Does he even care? One certain thing I know. Every person in this world will suffer at some point or another. As the church, we need to be very careful not to set out to explain every single thing that happens to another person. It is okay to say we don't have the answers. And it is okay to say, we just don't understand it all. When we use cliche answers, we risk glossing over someone's pain in order to make ourselves less uncomfortable. Author and comedian Jen Hatmaker wrote a beautiful essay on human suffering. She said, the church has a history of formulizing suffering, giving it tighter origins and endings and whitewashing the debilitating middle. We assess the complicated nuances of sorrow and assign it categories, roots, and principles. When uncertain, we default to sovereignty in a way that feels so lonely and so cold, and makes God out to be a heartless pursuer of his own fame at any human cost. God is sovereign, yes, but there are many things to consider when it comes to human suffering. We cannot default to his sovereignty as the answer to human suffering. The Bible is filled with different examples and and reasons why people suffer. So today, let's just take a look at a few. Number one, suffering can come as the result of cause and effect. In other words, the individual experiencing the suffering is the one responsible for creating his or her own mess. Monday night, we talked about David and how he lusted after a woman who happened to be someone else's wife. He slept with her and then created various plots in order to cover up his mistake. And the only person in the end responsible for his own suffering was David. And there are many other examples in the Bible that support this reason. How about Adam and Eve? They chose not to follow God's instructions and here we are today still paying for their mistakes. Sometimes we drink too much and get cirrhosis of the liver. Sometimes we eat too much fat and get diabetes or heart disease. My grandfather, I remember, he suffered from high blood pressure among many other things and God bless the person who dare take the Salt shaker out of his hand. And that salt shaker eventually did take him, but the choice was his and his alone to put it down. No one else could do that for him. So sometimes we create the mess we are in and we have to suffer the consequences. Jonah, Saul, Judas, all example of that. To suffering can come through the hand or sin of others. Again, we talked about Bathsheba and how David's uh, choices deeply affected her and completely changed her life and the course of her life. Another example is Daniel. Daniel was minding his own business, praying in his room, and uh, what happened? People got jealous. Others became, uh, his, his character, his integrity became a thread to others' corruption until it became evident. They had to read the town of Daniel, or they would risk being exposed themselves. Another example is the victim in the Good Samaritan parable. He was just walking one day, minding his own business, when two criminals came his way, and beat him up, left him for dead. He did nothing to deserve those beatings. But he suffered at the hand of others. Sometimes we suffer for no reason at all. Do you remember Christopher Reeve, his wife Dana Reeve, many, many years ago? She died of lung cancer. Never smoked a single cigarette in her entire life. The Middle East is filled with places where what you say, what you believe, and even what you stand against can literally get you killed. Now, we don't have to go too far right here in the United States. In 2015, about 1,670 children died at the hands of their parents, either by neglect or abuse. Every year, over 56 billion animals are killed to please our taste buds. And that is just the animals we kill for food. It doesn't include any animals that we kill because we want to put them on our walls or because we just neglect them or abuse them. In 2015, there were 15,696 murders. 90,185 rapes, 327,374 robberies. And as I was writing this very sermon, I I was prompted by, I I get notifications on the breaking news, and as I'm writing, a prompt uh, notification came up. A 16-year-old student stabbed another 15-year-old student to death. God is sovereign, yes, but men has free will. A gift men has abused and used for evil and selfish intents. Closely related to number two is the next reason suffering comes to people who believe in Jesus Christ from the hand of those who hate the gospel. I was watching a documentary on Christians who live in Jordan, Amman, Jordan. And the movie makes mention of the ISIS, and the first thing they do when they enter a town is to mark the homes of Christians with red paint and the um, Arab word Nasara, a derogatory term used for Christians in that region. Thousands of people become refugees due to such conflicts, and pastors fear for their lives as they minister. To their, to their communities. One of the refugees was Carlos and he flee from Iraq where Isis stormed into his house, abducted him and then gave him two options. You either abandon your faith or you will go to court where they will certainly send you to be killed. Carlos said very bravely, I cannot Recant my faith. So if you need to kill me, then that's what you need to do. Instead, they hung him upside down for 45 days and continually beat him with sticks that had nails attached to. When they got tired of beating him, they would throw salt in their in his wounds and then every once in a while they would get him down just to dunk his head in dirty water for whatever reason the isis decided to release him with six other prisoners and carlos was able to flee to jordan where he is now being supported by a community of believers and although he is free from his physical Um, jail and prison, it has now been a long journey of healing. Carlos has now had to battle depression and debilitating fear and crumbling, questioning faith. The people around him gather and try to build him up piece by piece, little by little, with patience and love and prayer what do you say to someone like Carlos you cannot gloss over that Carlos is just one of the thousands who suffers daily because of his belief in Jesus Christ there are over 17 countries around the globe filled with Christians who are at this very moment persecuted for their faith this is not new to a generation this was suffered by disciples of Christ were persecuted and killed for their beliefs first century Christians were persecuted for their faith Jesus Christ himself was persecuted and killed for proclaiming the good news God did not cause any of this suffering. This may be news to you, but I believe that um, because the cross was foretold doesn't mean that that is the way God wanted to save the world. God could have calmly come and he could have just said, you're forgiven, offer us salvation without all the violence. But there was plenty of human factors at play that eventually led Jesus to the cross. Luke 22, 22 says, Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. In other words, God knew the men who would eventually betray Jesus, but still, that man... Being Judas, that man alone was held responsible for the betrayal and not God. God did not make Judas betray him. Many other Jewish leaders and also even Pilate had a part in sending Jesus to the cross. Before the cross, there's a depicting passage in Matthew 26 which tells the agony that Jesus was feeling at the hour that the cross was approaching. He tells Peter, James, and John to go with him to Gethsemane so that they could pray. He did not want to be alone. How beautiful that Jesus showed us firsthand that in our hour of need, it is good to be in community, that we should share each other's burdens and we should suffer with those who suffer. So while he is praying, Jesus cried out to the Father, Is it possible for this cup to pass from me, Lord? Is there any other way? But he finally succumbs to the Father's will one way or another. The Father did not cause Jesus' suffering, but he is the one who gave Jesus the strength to get through it. Another reason that we suffer is because of natural disasters. We have had quite a month, haven't we? My own homeland in Puerto Rico, it's unrecognizable. Suffering can come from natural disasters. Whether you believe men's actions are affecting the planet or the earth and, or the, the earth is naturally changing without any influence for us, from us, the fact remains that hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and tornadoes and many others come and human lives are caught in the way. My family and I just got back from Washington State and we got to visit Mount St. Helen. an active volcano in Washington. We got to learn much of its history, and, and we got to learn that on March 1st of 1980, the University of Washington inaugurated a new system of seismographs, and this was going to help monitor earthquake activity, it was a huge breakthrough. And so a few days later after they inaugurated this device, they um, caught a a 4.2 magnitude earthquake that was detected in the middle of the mountain. Uh, This prompted what uh, then began an around-the-clock watch of this mountain or a volcano because they realized something is brewing and we need to keep an eye on this so scientists could tell that something big was about to happen they just couldn't tell when and they couldn't tell how so they kept watch It unfortunately came sooner rather than later on may eighteen of that same year Volcanologists, that's a big word, camped around the ridge of the mountain and they began to watch the different patterns and the signals that the mountain or the center of the volcano was sending them. David A. Johnston, one of the scientists on watch that day, noted an earthquake of 5.1 magnitude. And he is recorded saying, this is it as he communicated the data with the rest of the team. And that so happens to be his very last words. The very thing that happened that they were preparing for was the very thing that took his life. The volcano erupted, sending volcanic ash, steam, water, and debris at a height of about 60,000 feet. Feet in the air and then down the mountain killing everything in its way including trees plants animals and 57 human lives the very scientists who were studying this mountain in order to prevent the loss of life were now the victims caught in the way the world we live in can be cruel can be heartbreaking, baffling, and even unkind. Suffering can come because of all of those reasons and many more. And we also must remember that there is a, an enemy, a very real enemy, who, like John ten ten says, he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. As long as we live in this world I can guarantee you we will experience pain of one way or another. But so far this message has been quite gloomy, hasn't it? So let me tell you the good news. There are the thing, these are the things that I am absolutely certain of. Jesus came so that you and I may have life And he came so that you and I may have life abundantly. I'm not talking about that Joel Austin's prosperity gospel kind of abundance. According to biblical scholars, the Greek word for abundance in this verse is parasos. This word has a mathematical meaning and generally denotes a surplus. The abundant life is about all the center life in which our contentment is based upon the fact that God is equal to every emergency and is able to supply all of our needs according to his riches and the glory of Jesus Christ. So if you take all of our sufferings, all of our pains, and struggles, and questions, and diseases, and anything else you can add to that, this verse is saying God is greater than the sum of them all. Abundant life isn't an especially long life or a comfortable life. Abundant life is a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus Another thing I am absolutely certain of is that while we suffer, God suffers with us. In John 11, the apostle tells us the story of when Jesus heard of his friend Lazarus and he made his way back to Bethany with the sole intention of resurrecting his friend, bring him back to life. Yet when Mary came rushing and fell at his feet, sobbing with unimaginable sorrow, all because his brother Lazarus had now passed away. The passage tells us in verse 33 that Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then two simple words describe the reason why we call him the great comforter. Jesus wept, not cried, pouted, not had tears, but wept. He sobbed and shed uncontrollable tears. That same man who came to town specifically to raise the dead one back to life, he couldn't help but succumb to the sorrow and the pain and the suffering that was around him. Jesus wept. He had to share in the grief of those who were around him. He had to mourn alongside them. In just a few minutes, he would bring Lazarus back to life. But he had to suffer and grieve with those who were hurting. Jesus weeps every time our heart aches. Jesus sobs every time we suffer. His heart breaks every time he sees his children inflict pain upon others he cannot wait for us to finally be free from the ugly entanglements of this sinful world but there is something we learn from the story of Joseph and that is that he redeems that which the enemy set out for evil God did not sail Joseph into slavery his brothers did but he brought abundant life out of the messy life Joseph inherited. It may be in this life or the next one, but God, I can assure you, will redeem that which the enemy intended for evil. About 20 years ago, I was a freshman in college. when my favorite person in the entire universe, my aunt Carmen, was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She was my age, the age I am today, with three children. She was the happiest person I know. (laughs) She was the kindest and the loudest person you would ever know. When she entered a room, everyone wanted to be her friend. Her spirit was infectious. Her laugh could make the whole world laugh. So after many months of treatment, the doctors finally told her, there's just nothing we can do, so please go home. Get your affairs in order. We all gather around her to say our goodbyes and try to comfort her as much as we can, but honestly, we were trying to comfort ourselves. We were in such shock and disbelief. During her final days, she was very weak and needed care around the clock. So she was at a hospital facility and one of her closest friends came to comfort her or so she thought and encourage her for a little while. Instead she found herself inconsolable in her presence and just couldn't hide her anger at the situation. My sweet precious aunt with Astonishing faith began to minister to her, to her friend. And she began to remind her that God will make all things new one day. That this world will pass away and that God will not forsake us even now. And he will not abandon us. She died not too long after that. But her testimony even now carries me through many, many difficult situations. She inspired me to carry on her legacy and her faith and to hold on to God and his promises. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble. But let us be of good cheer. Because Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already done the work. He's already done everything. We just need to hold on to God's promises. Change is coming. But not the kind of change that the world or, or politicians talk about. The kind of change that only God can bring. One day God will wipe every tears from our eyes. One day God will bring beauty from these earthly ashes. He will pour the oil of joy over our mourning. He will replace our spirit of heaviness with the garment of praise. In the meantime, we suffer with those who suffer. We do not gloss over their pain. Like Jesus, we cry with them. And we grieve with them. And if it's our turn to cry, then we hold on to God and we allow him to sit with us and comfort us. Let him put his arms around us. Let him cry with you until that day when every tear will be wiped away and when we finally will have our pain reclaimed for good. I know that there are many suffering right here, right now. And so we Would like to take some time to pray. And maybe it's not you, maybe there's someone that in your family or in your circle is in need of prayer. And if that is the case, then would you stand up tonight as we uplift our family, our hurting friends, our hurting neighbors? Let's pray. Jesus, you showed us so much, so well, how to live in this world. You did not gloss over anyone's pain. You simply sat and grieved with them. You cried with those who cried and you suffered alongside those who were in pain. And today you've called us to do the same. Father, I pray that you will give us the wisdom to know how to minister to those who are suffering around us. Around us. Jesus, may we have the patience, the kindness, and the love that you had for those in need May our hearts break for that that which breaks yours Jesus May we stop when we see someone in need May we may we be your hands your feet in this world Father if someone in here is in need of your comfort Lord I just pray Jesus be their comfort, be their healer, be their hope, be their sustainer, wrap your arms around them, uplift them, show them that Lord with you all things are possible. And, Father, if it is our turn to comfort them, Lord, may we be courageous to walk into their space. May we have the courage to lift our our arms to surround them, to pray for them. Jesus, may we be a church of healers, not of pain-inflictors. And, Father, we cannot wait for that day when all our suffering, when all our pain will be gone forever, and when we see you face to face, and when our tears will be wiped for good, and when our ashes will finally be in full-bloom beauty. Thank you for that promise. We hold on to that every day. It is in Jesus that we pray. Amen.